Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their dream life best fit role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them, and how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. So welcome everyone. I'm so, so excited to be turning to Andrea Collins today. So the topic today is how do you get back into the workforce after having a family and find a purposeful role with opportunity? Oh my goodness, I can't wait to get started. So Andrea is on a mission with Michelle, are you say? Because like so many Australian women, they went to university, graduated, started their professional working lives. They experienced successful careers as well. They had families and they juggled the very real and challenging demands of doing both. And for various reasons, unlike others, they weren't driven by the demands of young children because they've both had career pauses. So they filled those pauses with consulting, contracting, undertaking further study, volunteering, business startups, and reinvention to new titles. And like many women, Andrea and Michelle have also faced the metaphorical brick wall, which they think is the size of Mount Everest when attempting to return to the traditional workforce. They've both experienced being overqualified for entry roles and overlooked for roles that match their experience and capabilities. They've experienced the downward spiral of feeling like a failure, wondering what's next and struggling to envision what a future career could be that consolidates their many years of experience and what would that look like. They have felt isolated, invisible, irrelevant and frustrated. So they're on a mission to get great women who are sitting on the bench back into the workforce. I can't wait to hear more from Andrew today. Welcome. Thanks, Nikki. I'm so excited to be here too. Excellent. So could you please share a bit about ZipWire and what its mission is? And then we'll go back in time and and hear more about your pathway to get to the here and now. Look, ZipWire's mission is to mobilise talent, talent that's had a non-linear career, back into the workforce, into a purposeful role. I know that sounds very fluffy and airy-fairy, but we see or we know from looking at the data in Australia that there are thousands and thousands of women who are qualified and educated and have had a break in their career for whatever reason and usually it's because having a family but it can also be um, there can be personal health issues there can be you know commitments with other family members um, and it also is is men as well just in a much smaller percentage who get to a point in their life because our life goes through many cycles and it changes and want to go back to work and want to resume their career and initially everyone thinks it's going to be you know pretty easy I'll just you know get my CV out there and start applying for roles but it, it becomes evident very soon that going back in after you've had a break of two or more years has a whole series of barriers that sit there so we identified that through our own lived experience and went well no one else is really doing anything about this in Australia and it's an issue and and there's talent out there that wants to work and they're currently being blocked out exactly <laughs> yeah. 
in a nutshell. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So why don't you share a bit about your career pathway till now and then we'll start to unpack what some of these issues are. Yeah, as a university student, as a teenager, I started in in retail, did a bit of work in the fitness sector. I actually studied to do teaching. I was a secondary school teacher for about five years. Um, I majored in physical education and health. So I've had a very strong passion around movement and health as a general umbrella. But after sort of four or five years in the teaching sector, I started to see that maybe this wasn't the perfect pathway for me. So I did a bit of a sideways step into corporate training and development and was lucky enough to find an employer who saw my skills as transferable. And I started working as an instructional designer and a trainer. And it wasn't too long after that, that I started my own family and was was faced with some, some interesting decisions. Initially, I thought I'll just get a nanny and, you know, have the baby and pay the nanny five days a week and I'll go back to work. But it didn't actually work out that way. Um, has it usually doesn't when you have a family. So whilst I was pregnant with my first child, I actually started consulting. So I'd done a course with with company before I got pregnant, actually, and I really liked how they worked and the methodology they used. So I, I just volunteered to work for free for one of these consultants. And I was lucky enough that she never took advantage of that. And I was always paid, but that, that sort of set me up in a consulting role. And, um, and I've, I've done that for the last 14 years on and off in between children and study and and other bits and pieces. So yeah, so I suppose that's me in a nutshell in terms of my career path. Fantastic. And what's what was the catalyst to start Zipwire? Great question, Nikki. In 2016, I decided to go back to study. After 12 years of consulting, it can be quite isolating, lonely work at times. You do work with clients on site every now and then but a lot of my work was done through my home office but I was losing my mojo a little bit and really wanting to be part of something again and really focus on something I'm passionate about so I started thinking about you know what is it that I love doing what am I passionate about and it took me back to what I studied which was around health and health promotion population health so I looked into some different avenues of what I might be able to do and where that could take me career-wise. And I ended up settling with going back to do my honours degree in public health and health promotion. So I spent two years completing my research thesis, which was around um, physical activity in children. And and it was an amazing learning experience and, you know, talking about upskilling and learning new things, massive amount of growth there. And I got to the end of that in the end of 2017 and sort of had a fork in the road. Do I continue to go down this academic pathway or, you know, or do I... I, do I go back to what I used to do, which was consulting, or do I try something different altogether? And I decided that the academic pathway, as interesting as it was, it wasn't for me based on lots of different things that thought maybe I'll try and get a job somewhere again, go back, be part of a team, part of something much bigger than just me. So I started applying for some roles and the one role that springs to mind, I actually read it, saw it and went, oh, I think I'd be a perfect fit for this. And I actually sent the hiring manager an email and said, look, this is this is me, this is where I'm at, you know, do you think it's worth applying? Well, this hiring manager actually took the time to call me. We had a conversation on a Saturday and he highly encouraged me to apply and I was so excited and I went home and I, I spent best part of a day responding to selection criteria for this role and really put a lot of effort in into it and I applied for it and then I never heard a thing and I was like wow I thought at minimum I'd get an interview I didn't think I'd 
be a shoe into the job, but I thought at least they'd want to meet me. And I got nothing. And to this day, I never even got an official, sorry, we had better applicants than you. I got absolutely nothing. And it was a, it was actually um, a university job. So it wasn't in a small organisation, big university. And I was surprised and I was really disappointed. And I was like, wow, I've done... <laughs> All these different things in my career, I've, I've been a continuous learner and, and not just my thesis, I've done other studies since finishing university and got a, a pretty big portfolio of experience. I'm like, why wouldn't they even want to talk to me? And I was quite perplexed and I got into quite a, a dark place really questioning my value and whether I actually had anything to offer, which I knew I did, that rational part of my brain did but that emotional part was going wow am I am I redundant am I out of date and it was around this time that my friend Michelle who we've been playing netball together for for years we used to have these conversations driving to and from netball each week and she was in a different different position to me but similar her youngest had just started school and she has three children and she was like I'm going to go back to work well she spent two years trying to get a job and to even get an interview was like hen's teeth and when she did you know she had recruiters rolling their eyes at her saying you need to give me more to give me an example of why you'd be good for this role so through all these different forces that were happening at the time Michelle sort of was telling you what she was up to and I said look I might be able to help and we caught up and before you know it Zipwire had started. So brilliant and so there's a couple of things I want to mention there I loved hearing every step of that pathway and I really hope that everyone listening in, if you are job seeking, please know that your experience is universal. What Andrea and Michelle experienced, I'm talking to people every week experiencing the same thing and those, the emotional consequences are real. It's really easy to feel disempowered and flash and unemployable, but the recruitment system is broken. And so you're in very good company if you're experiencing this. And we're going to talk a bit about today on what the other options are. So tell me about those early conversations around Zipwire. Well, it started off with Michelle trying for two years to get back into the workforce and then led her down this pathway of understanding that people do have non-linear careers, they do have a career break. And she just started researching what's happening in Australia and looking at also what's happening overseas in the UK, in the US, in Asia. And she she realised that no one in Australia is really focusing on career returns. I've got lots of businesses that are doing some fantastic work around engaging more women into the workforce and, and being really good advocates for women. And But there was no one just focusing purely on returners. And, you know, she's said, well, you know, someone's got to do something, you know, no one's going to give me a job. So I'm going, this is going to be the catalyst for me to start this business. So when we first started talking, you know, we were just researching. We were looking at Australia's history in terms of how have we got to this point in time. And, you know, we went back to the start of the, the 20th century in the early 1900s to try and work out what have been the big catalyst events that have led us to this point where we're in such a perceived modern point of time but in many ways we're still really backward so that was that first piece looking at our history crunching abs data reading papers and also understanding the global position on career returners and then from there we you know we had to work out what was going to be our key service offering our key product that we were going to take to market so we started by building a best practice framework that was developed on some global standards that we'd been researching about which is really about setting up a return of framework in an organization 
So, you know, we built this framework based on this best practice model um, that had these six steps to setting up a returner framework in your organisation. So it was a huge body of work. And then we thought, well, we need to test this framework and, you know, get some feedback on it. So, you know, we set up meetings with HR people, with a couple of leaders in some different organisations just to get their feel for it. And it was really interesting because a lot of the HR people were like, oh, this is great. We love it. This is really, really cool. A lot of the leaders were like, oh, yeah, no, we don't need something like that in our organisation. We're already doing enough. And that was a real penny drop moment because it's like, okay, how do you know what you're doing is enough? How have you validated that? How have you measured that? And it seems to be that we, when you talk to a lot of people, they talk about what their gut feel is on a certain issue without really understanding it because we don't know what we don't know. So that's sort of what we spent the first part of last year doing but then we sort of had to look inwards into ourselves a little bit and so we're like we need to start testing things on what we're telling organizations to do or what returners need to do we need to start testing some of this stuff on ourselves we seriously started networking and working on our own personal brand so we started getting a lot more active on linkedin writing articles really working with our own profiles and thinking about things like our headline and really working on that personal brand piece and i did a really interesting little mini experiment I was reading Catherine Fox's book Stop Fixing Women fabulous book and I was reading it and I was so inspired and I could I seeing all these names of these really influential people in Australia and all sorts of different roles that are really doing some great work towards gender balance and I was like oh I'd love to connect with these people I'm just going to look them all up on LinkedIn and I'm going to send them all a note I'm going to invite them and I'm just going to see who accepts me and It was really interesting because probably over half the people that I looked up through that book and invited actually connected with me on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, wow, there you go. You really do have to put yourself out there sometimes to really start to grow your network. Now, I don't know these people personally and we wouldn't know each other if we ran into each other in the street. But that point of knowing that, I think I had the CEO of one of the big four consulting firms actually accept my invitation. I was like, oh, that's really cool. (laughs) So from there, the framework piece was great, but we're like, oh, a lot of organisations think they're already doing everything well, you know, how do we get in? So our next product was looking at building an evaluation tool. So going into an organisation and saying, well, let's look at gender balance as a bit of an umbrella, knowing that we wanted to get to that return market eventually, but sort of helping them to understand what their status quo is. So we did that. We spent about a month building this evaluation tool and it was great. And we looked at it and we're like, oh, this is awesome, but we could spend 12 months in one organisation. And part of what ZipWire wants to be is scalable. So we want to mobilise as many returners as possible. And if we're just spending 12 months in one organisation, then we're not going to actually be having that bigger impact. So we're like, that's a great tool, but and we, and we will do it one day, but we need to sort of sideline that at the moment. And then we kept asking ourselves this question, you know, how can we be scalable? How can we mobilise more returners back into the market. And that's when we like, we have to actually bring these two parties together. We need to bring returners and organisations to a point where they can actually meet. Because at the moment, there's like a two-way vault between the two. Returners want to come back in, but they're invisible and they can't get through that metaphorical brick wall that you talked about in your intro, Nikki. Equally, organisations have this issue of the war on talent at the moment and they want talent and they want people with, you know, capability and potential, 
but they have no access to this market because even if they advertise a job and a returner applies for it, their recruitment system will block them out because of how their CV reads or they may, may not have the right keywords in their application. So knowing that a lot of recruitment's done through software looking for keywords, we know that there's going to be big blockers within the system. So then we're like, we need to bring these two parties together. So that's when we developed our workshop model, which we have developed, we've piloted, we've tested it, we've retested it again and now we're getting it to a point where we think we've now got this key product where we can run workshops in conjunction with organizations who support and effectively sponsor the workshop and through that we can actually bring returners into their organization and take them through a half day program helping them to get their confidence back see their value, work on their personal brand and really help to remove this two-way vault that sits in that in that returner space. And we call that at the moment no man's land because you can't get in either way that you go. The two-way vault, that's such a good phrase and it's so true. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think when you're applying for jobs, you assume the organisations don't want to see you. But I love what you say about there is a war on talent. Yeah, people say it's hard to find good people. And when I was assessing people for staff, it was really hard to find good staff for companies. And so it's the irony is really high, isn't it? Extreme. Yes, Yes, it is. And look, you know, you can go into that space of when there's a role, how are you recruiting for it? What are you looking for? What are you putting out as your your minimum requirements? A lot of the time, those minimum requirements are going to block out returners because they have been out of the workforce for anywhere from two up until can be up to 15 years for some people. Yes. And women typically want to be able to match up to what 80 to 90% of the requirements to feel comfortable to apply. Yes. Whereas, and we need to adopt this. Most men think, well, if I match 50% of the requirements, I'll apply. And really women, we need to adopt the men's attitude to applying if you match 50%. Or even if you think you'd be good at it and you don't even match much of the requirements at all. Absolutely. So next up, Angie, please share the top three things you want us to know about what you discovered from your research about women and men returning to the workplace after a career break. Before I go into the top tips, something I probably should have mentioned earlier on in the piece. One of our big pieces that we developed earlier on was was our philosophy on this issue. And what we realised through going through this exercise of research and understanding the market is that this is a complex issue. It's not simple. It's not just a matter of telling the individual they need to just fix themselves up and get out to the work. And it's not a matter of just saying to organisations, you need to employ more career returners. It's quite holistic. So it starts at an individual personal level and that's where you've got to find that that spark of I want to go back to work, I can go back to work, I have value. Yet at the moment, a lot of returners feel quite isolated and invisible and it's really interesting um, having run a couple of workshops now. You know, the amount of times I've heard these amazing career returners say to me, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one that felt this way. And then you've got to work through get through that and then you've got to work out your personal responsibilities and how can I how can I get back to work and and still manage my life as it is because we you know our lives are not one dimensional we have lots lots of different ways that we have to live personally professionally emotionally etc so you've got to work that out and then you've got to get your branding right Um, and then you've got to actually get your networks back and then once you get into an organization and back into work now we've then got bigger issues that sit at organizational levels leadership levels and society levels so We know that this issue isn't simple and that we do need to look at it from multiple angles. But if we're focusing just 
on a returner and where a returner is sitting. And, and this top top three things, it might be four, Nikki, so I hope you'll allow me of to. Of course. <laughs> First of all is find your spark. You have so much to offer, but be prepared to be uncomfortable. Taking that step to grow back in is going to make you feel uncomfortable, but that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It means that you're ready to spread your wings and start to really try some different things and be faced with some questions that maybe you haven't thought about for a long time. But you've got to believe in yourself that you've got some value and you do 100%, you do 200%. You've got to sort out your mental load. So that, that invisible load that sits on your shoulders, you know, in your non-work capacity that you've had since you've had your career break, and you've got to work out how you can redistribute that mental load, whether that's delegating it to other people or dropping some things altogether because you can't keep doing everything you're doing now whilst you're not back at work and then try to do that and go back into a purposeful role too. You've got to own your story. And there's a lot of conjecture on whether you hide a career break or you don't. And I believe we should be able to really own that story and know that it's formed the person you are now. And actually, that's what brings your wealth of value and experience to a role. So think about your short and your long-term goals of what you want to achieve in your career, where you want to go to. Focus on your skills, but also on your capability and your potential and talk to your strength. You need to be able to really articulate what it is that you are good at. And then, and you have to do this all along, but network, network, network. You have to get your network back. A lot of your jobs when you get back into the workforce will come from your network. And that's a whole nother piece. And we don't probably don't have the time to go into that in detail today. But networking is absolutely critical because we know that returners lose their networks and you've got to start to rebuild them again. And you're more connected than you think. It's just that your networks at the moment are based on your world in your career break. And you've just got to shift that lens slightly to start rebuilding that network again. Now, if you're sitting there thinking networking and you can feel your brain shutting down, (laughs) I love your framework. And I just want to share perhaps a reassuring story on the networking side. A client of mine who's very personable but quite reserved was wanting to transition out of teaching and we figured out what her dream role would be and that would be around really health promotion. And because she's a teacher, she's a garnet curriculum development and implementation and so we created a strengths paragraph and she was chatting to a dad at her son's cricket sharing with him what she was aiming for and he said well I've been meaning to create a diabetes program for my clients would you come and help me to do it because I'm just Mm -hmm. getting around to it so sometimes with networking we think oh my god I have to approach a CEO of a company or even a HR manager of a company but it could be the dad at your local cricket ground absolutely and start where you feel comfortable when you agree start where you feel comfortable absolutely so one of the things we get our participants to do in our workshops is to do a a networking map so they basically start with a blank piece of paper put your name in the middle with a circle around it and you just start drawing lines out of the different parts of your life and the people in that to start your network so it might be with who did I study with who have I worked with in the past who do I go to school with? Like where my kids go to school with? Who are some people there that I know do some really interesting stuff that I find cooler that are quite connected in ways? You know, you can look at your social circles, you know, so you can have this sort of this really complex, looks like a bit of a mind map with all these names out of it. And that's your, that's sort of your starting point to think about, well, who is my network today? 
and then you can use that map to start having just having conversations with people, having coffees with people, introducing people within your network to each other who you think might be might be beneficial knowing because then that brings you from the out of a network back into the centre of it. So it's not certainly not about, like you said, Nikki, it's not going and asking for jobs. It's just connecting with people and having those conversations. Um, and when you start talking with people, you feel better. You really do, don't you? And I agree wholeheartedly. I think what people think is networking is asking for a job to the person they're speaking to, but it's really the opposite. It's being curious, asking questions, understanding their world, their role, what they're up to, and then, yeah, seeing perhaps who that you could connect them to or, you know, what you find interesting about that, what spark, what lights you up about what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Next up, would you like to share a bit about what you see the opportunities as being for organisations to improve the situation? I'd love to. So we know that this issue, this complex issue we have with this particular demographic, people that have had a non-linear career, is that it's not just focused on the individual. I think I've already said this. We know that a great body of work that we do at ZipY is about the work we do with organisations. So, you know, we see ourselves as an advocacy and support business. So it's the advocacy that we do with organisations that's really, really important. And as I've already said, you know, there is a war on talent out there at the moment. But, and returners are untapped talent who currently don't have access through traditional recruitment channels. So that's why we've developed this workshop model as this way of really bringing returners into the front face of organisations who are saying, we're actually really interested in recruiting talent. We're interested in supporting a demographic that are locked out of the workforce and so there's some brand leverage for them and, and you know, some social advocacy, but also that opportunity to actually go hunting for some talent. We also see a huge opportunity to demystify returners. I've spoken at barbecues with people about this, so it's not just my opinion, but they're seen as high risk. And that's really quite interesting because we're talking about professionals and individuals who have education and experience of their whole life and they want to work and they want to work in a purposeful role with opportunity. They're motivated, they're committed, and if positively supported, they'll be the most loyal and high-performing team members in a team. So we really think there's a huge opportunity to work with leaders and managers of organisations to really demystify this, this perception of, of a returner because a lot of the time it's they've been out of work for 12 years. Why would I want to employ them? They've got no skills anymore. So we really need to educate people about returners and, and who they are and what they bring to the table. There's also opportunity to look at a returner framework as a way to really expand a talent acquisition strategy in an organisation and for that to become business as usual when you recruit for a role. You know, so with that, you know, we look at job design, we look at how we advertise a role making sure that we have an onboarding program anyway whenever you get a new recruit. So we just need to tweak it a little bit, give it a little bit more support. You know, you can look at this framework through setting up an actual returner program, which is typically a 12 to 20 week program where you're specifically targeting returners and you might have them in a specific role or you might might rotate them through some different departments in an organisation. Or maybe it's more supported hiring where you're recruited for a role just normally, but you've got a, a returner who's applied that looks really good, might have a couple of gaps that need filling. So we just give them a little bit of supported hiring for that first three to six months and then they're on their way. So adding this layer to a talent acquisition strategy is a huge opportunity for organisations. 
We also have this, which you see it in the media all the time around, you know, leadership roles and we're getting more gender balance in leadership within organisations. And our premise is that the service quo is not going to change until the talent pipeline is increased from all levels in an organisation. So we need a bigger pond to fish from. And this is a way to really get more women into the workforce, into purposeful roles that actually have a career path ahead of them. And then there will be more to pick from for that pool when we're looking at leadership. So brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Imagine having that kind of extensive onboarding back into a company. Yes. And if there's any organisations listening out there, returners are not redundant. They have not crawled under a rock and died. Their brains are still working. They've still had to navigate technology. They've still had to learn skills. A lot of them have studied. They've probably supported a partner in a business at some level. They've probably had a, a small startup of some degree. To themselves they've done volunteer work you know they've been the presidents of the kinder and the parents club they've run the eighty thousand dollar fundraising fate for the local school they're they're running sport clubs like these are people that are still using their skills they're just not being paid for it yeah exactly a hundred percent and they're really motivated aren't they yes. they will be very efficient in whatever time they dedicate to your business because they've been used to juggling multiple projects, priorities all the time. And I think you're right, you know, with that motivation does come loyalty. And that's one of the fears of, of leaders and hiring managers, isn't it, around how long will people stay? Yeah, and are they going to call in sick all the time because their kids have things on? And you know, there's this whole piece around whether you can work full-time or part-time. And, and that creates a little bit of a divide as well in terms of when it comes to recruitment because there are a lot of returners who... At this point in time, they might not have the capacity to work full-time, but it's not going to stay that way forever. It might only be for the next couple of years, and they probably can still do three or four days a week. They'll be willing to work remotely and use all this wonderful technology that we have at our fingertips now to really make it work. So I think instead of saying it won't work, I think it's looking at the opportunity to say, well, how can we make it work? And, and just a, a, a quick story, a colleague of my husband a lady who's in a very senior role now, but when she first had her family um, and she was just bamboozled by the demands of little people, she had her manager from her job, which she had stepped away from, call her and say, I want you back. And she's like, I can't, it's too hard. He goes, I don't care if you work one day a week, I want you back. So she just started one day a week. And then her children had some health issues and she called him and she said, Look, I don't think I can do it. He goes, take whatever time you need off. When you're ready, come back. Well, she's now working full-time in an incredibly senior role because of that sponsor that really saw her value, knew her potential and her capability and so it's like, I don't want to let this person go. And, you know, you really need that mindset of we can make this work and if you can only work one day a week, two day a week, whatever it is, knowing that that's not forever is really that lens that we need to look at this through. I think that's really clever and I think it's interesting too how there is some black and white thinking around part-time and full-time. And I remember when the GFC hit, that mm -hmm. PricewaterhouseCoopers Cooper, asked all their staff to go to four days a week. So there's a payroll saving. It's not to be feared having someone working less than strict full-time hours, is there? Yes. And interestingly enough, the 40-hour week was never developed around what's best for humans. 
Exactly. You know, it was what's best for economies and, and, and businesses. My perfect world would be for my husband and I to both be working three or four days a week. You know, that would be amazing. We would have so much balance in our world. I love hearing that. So please join me on the three to four day work, work week revolution. My yes. husband and I now do work four days a week. We did it when we were freelancing consulting and when we had kids, my husband then worked full time. But actually within a couple of years, he dialed back to four days a week and it's, it has incredible benefits. So if you haven't joined our four day week, week revolution, join so now. Oh, I love it. So good. So good. So Andrea, I'd love for you to set perhaps a mini experiment or a challenge. Would you think it would be around the networking mind map or would it be around something else? I've got another one at my seat. I think you should definitely do the networking mind map too because you can do it, have a coffee, sit down. You don't need to do all in one hit. You can build that over time. But I, the workshop that I held, I facilitated last week, we did a piece around helping our returners to really uncover what their strengths were. And a lot of them really struggled with this. It was a bit of an identity crisis, not really being able to remember how to articulate what they're good at. So my challenge would be to any of our returners who are listening, go and have a coffee with a friend or a former colleague, someone who knows you really well and really understands you and what you have to offer this world and ask them to tell you what they think you're good at and what your strengths are. And you need to write that down. And that needs to be your starting point for helping you to really build your strength statement and working towards developing your personal brand. Fantastic. That's a great mini experiment or mini challenge. Thank you so much. Andrea, oh my goodness, you've really shed the light on what is happening at a systems level and at an individual level in terms of preventing people from finding purposeful work after a career break. So thank you so much for today. Oh, thank you for having me, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure. So to find out more about Andrea Collins and Michelle Ayuse's fantastic Zipwire, can you please share your website? Yes, so www.zipwire.co. Fantastic. So whether you're an individual returning to work or whether you're an organisation who are wanting to tap into this market and beat the war on talent, please get in touch with Andrea. Oh, looking forward to hearing from everyone, Nikki. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.